0: So, continuing this conversation by Paul, he says in chapter 6, verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. The way of speaking and the way of uh, describing all this seems strange to us because we so regularly look at Paul's teaching from a psychological point of view, from our own internal um, workings, you know. And so we look at this verse and we say, well, I'm still a slave of sin or or I'm still in a, a, a sinner. <clears throat> Why does he talk about uh, the past tense? And, of course, you know what I'm going to say now if you've listened long enough to this program. Paul is not talking about the internal psychological um, uh, dynamics of our sin problem. He's talking about the kingdoms that we live in. For when you were slaves of sin, that is, when you belonged to the kingdom of Adam in which there is condemnation and shame and death, then you were a slave of, the, of sin. When you were in that kingdom, the guilt and the shame and the fear that you were constantly um, battered with uh, and buffeted with brought you down on a regular basis, depressed you, overwhelmed you, felt you couldn't measure up and couldn't please God. So, for when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Well, what does that mean? It means that we simply had no regard for righteousness. We were not involved in it. We were just uh, automatic uh, sinners uh, and uh, regularly feeling our shame or our guilt or repressing it in one way or another, and we didn't care about righteousness. But now, you see, we look at things differently. Now, remember that even though you may be still addicted or still struggling with sin— You do have, by faith in Jesus Christ, a freedom from the guilt and the shame and the fear of it. And this enables you to properly evaluate, evaluate what you were doing and whether it was of any use to your life. This is verse 21, you see. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you you are now ashamed? The end result of those things is death. Now, people who are in bondage to addiction in the sense of not having any alternative way of looking at it because they have not found faith in Jesus Christ, they are not able to evaluate what this thing is doing to them. Whether Let's just use the typical example of alcoholism they drink and they drink and they drink and they're not aware or not mindful of the fact that it's slowly killing them, that they'll get sclerosis of the liver and they might die at 40 or 50. They're not aware or thinking about how much this affects their relationships uh, because they uh, just talk drivel while they're drunk and they can't uh, have a meaningful conversation with anyone and uh, develop meaningful relationships. They can't evaluate that. They can't look at the money issue and how much money they spend, thousands and thousands of dollars on it. I'm not condemning a person with that condition. I'm simply saying it's impossible to evaluate what this addiction is doing without faith in Jesus Christ. But when we have faith in Christ, we know that we're no longer condemned, we have been counted in His righteousness, we are no longer treated as sinners. We do not, we cast off the shame because we're able to say, Father, in Christ I am treated as whole. And this enables us to look then and evaluate uh, the uh, habit or the addiction that we're in. And we look at the health issues and we look at the financial issues and we look at the relationship issues. And when we do that, it helps us, it, doesn't, it isn't the total so- solution, but it helps us to sober, to look at life more objectively. Because when you're condemned, when you are uh, overwhelmed with guilt, shame and fear, you cannot look at your problem because looking at it increases the guilt, shame and fear but when you are known when you know that you are in christ without guilt and shame and fear you can look at your alcoholism or your other addiction as if it were a different person as if it were as if you had some objectivity as you indeed do now as a christian and that enables you to evaluate evaluate things and say this is simply not worth it i'm not going to continue with this thing now that may be a struggle in itself deciding not to continue in this thing. But still, we have the faith that daily affirms who we are in Christ. And even while the drink may continue, we keep affirming who we are in Christ until it begins to weaken its hold. So now you see verse 22, but now having been set free from sin. Now this is a phrase set free from sin, that cannot be received or accepted or understood by a legalist or by a perfectionist. He's totally scared of the idea. Well, I want to be freed from sin, but I'm not freed from it yet. And he's looking at it again, as I said earlier, from a psychological perspective, from what's going on inside of him. And he's saying, well, I'm not freed from sin yet. I hope to be freed one day. And so, you see, being freed from sin is a goal that he is um, uh, called upon to reach, so he thinks. But that is not Paul's teaching. That is not the teaching of the gospel. Being freed from sin is not a goal. Being freed from sin is a reality that Christ has brought by taking the judgment upon himself at the cross, our judgment, that is, upon himself at the cross, so that we are no longer counted as guilty of our sin, or identified in our sin, or condemned by our sin, or our our addiction. So we are freed from sin in that sense. That is not a psychological sense. It is what God has done in the kingdom of Christ. But it has, of course, a psychological effect when we put our trust in Christ. So now, he says, having been set free from sin— you remember paul talks about this uh, in uh, earlier he's uh, in chapter 6 he says now if you die with christ sorry verse 7 for he who has died has been freed from sin same idea you see set free from sin freed from sin we didn't die psychologically. We didn't die slowly by uh, eliminating all of our thoughts and feelings and, and uh, uh, go, uh, desires and changing our habits. No, we died to sin in the sense that Christ is our uh, judgment and atonement. And when he died on the cross, he died my judgment. And that in that sense, I died to sin. So I am freed from sin. I must tell myself that. Lord God, I am accounted. Remember, it's counted. It's counted to you. You are not intrinsically, innately freed from sin. You are counted as if you were. But now, having been set free from sin, you see what you say, Lord God? Even though I struggle still... I thank you that I'm freed from the power of sin, its identity, its condemnation, its guilt and judgment. Now, I'm freed from sin, having become a slave to God. Oh, there's that word slave again. You remember what we talked about last time? This is not slavery in a servile bondage kind of sense in which we are now um, slaves to a demon God who is endlessly poking at us and condemning us and and, uh, frowning upon us and threatening us and calling uh, us to do impossible things. No, this is the love of God. This is being a love slave. We are freed from sin. I remember, I think, uh, I don't remember the details, but I remember a story uh, decades ago in which uh, uh, someone on a slave market, you know, in the uh, days of slavery in in the United States, um, was uh, bought by a, a, a slave owner. And uh, I I think he was a slave owner, I don't know, but he was someone who was very philanthropic. Anyway, he was bought, the slave was bought by this man on the slave market. And once uh, he um, um, was bought, the man who bought him looked at him and said, "'You are now free.'" the slave could hardly believe what he was saying. He said, you are free. You are free to go. I am going to sign the papers. You are freed, emancipated. And the slave fell on his knees and said, I will serve you forever. Now, I know this may not be politically correct. I'm not uh, uh, trying to make some points on uh, the political issues of the day. I'm simply saying that when that man realized he was freed... By the one who bought him, he was willing to serve him. That's something, a little bit of what it might be like in our relationship to God. God sets us free, and we are so overjoyed by what he has done for us that we want to serve him. And that serving is not servitude, it is not humiliating, it is not crushing. It does not diminish our spirit. It does all the opposite. It lifts us up. It elevates us. We serve because we are godly men and women now. We have a new dignity. We have a new honor because God has released us, and he has respected us and given us his righteousness, and we love him for it. And so, you see, being freed from sin has is two sides of a coin— We are freed from its judgment, and we are slaves to God." because we love what he's done for us. We are delighted that he has not judged us according to what we deserve. We are so pleased that he doesn't consta- constantly remind us of our past. As some, uh, some Christians in church will do that, remind you of your past and keep you on a lower rung than everybody else uh, because you're not trustworthy, they think, anymore. No, we don't go that way. We know that God has now elevated us and he has made us his uh, sons and daughters. We are fellow heirs with Christ. We are in an incredibly honorable position so then verse 22 but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of god you have your fruit to holiness and the end it everlasting life and so you see where i mentioned in the previous verse how we evaluated what our alcoholism uh, does to us or whatever other addiction you may have We were able to evaluate it because we were set free from the guilt that continually obsesses us. No longer are we obsessed by guilt and shame and fear, so we can evaluate what we've been doing. Now we also evaluate what our slavery to God produces. Not civility, not cringing, but fruit. Fruit to a wonderful life. People who are Christians do good things, not because... Uh, They're looking to do good in order to be saved, but because having become a slave of God, a love slave, and having been saved and released and freed, they start being generous to the world. Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Cook and How It Happens. You can hear this program on your smartphone or other remote device. Simply download a free app, soundcloud.com or Podbean.com, and key in How It Happens with Colin Cook. And would you consider a donation towards this end of the year? Donations are tax deductible, though you do have to request uh, by mail uh, a simple uh, uh, tax receipt, a tax exempt receipt, which I send out to those who request it because most people don't need it. So um, please uh, send your donation to FaithQuest, PO Box 366, Littleton, Colorado 80160, or make your donation online at faithquestradio.com. Each program costs $39 per 15 minutes. That's about $200 for a week's programs. So thanks for your support. Thanks for the little notes you send when you send your support. I'll see you next time. Cheerio and God bless.